It is a blessing and privilege to be with you this morning. I want to thank you for sharing your pastor with us back in February. He was able to go over to the Philippines and uh, you released him, or maybe you didn't even know he was going, but it seems like maybe you released him and prayed for him and Ron as they were over there and we were able to join up together and he did a great job encouraging and blessing uh, and teaching, instructing a group of our uh, church planters and pastors over there in the Philippines. There's an emerging movement happening in the Philippines and we're very excited about it and I get to be a part of that. I'm kind of the coach for leadership development in Southeast Asia. Spent eight and a half years living in Thailand. Been very involved in the ministry in Laos with a guy by the name of Ponkau Gawalai, who some of you will know from here in Fresno from Butler MB. And uh, I still work with Ponkau. I do a lot of the budgets and the detail work so that Ponkau can be released to be this big apostolic leader that he is amongst the uh, Kamu people and other tribal groups of Southeast Asia. So thank you for your partnership in ministry. Thank you for your partnership with MB Mission. I'm not here this morning to say a lot about MB Mission. Uh, I, Brian has invited me to uh, to share with you the next uh, sermon in the series regarding the Lord's Prayer uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And so I want to do that. Um, my desire this morning is that we would all hear from God. Uh, to that end, you have in your bulletin a uh, a blank piece of paper. I know that that's not your normal custom. Normally you would have blanks on the blank piece of paper to fill in, to take notes. I want to, I want to encourage you this morning to do something a little bit differently. You're certainly welcome to take notes on the sermon and I'll try and remember as we go along to kind of give you the main points of the outline and you'll probably be able to figure those out. But what I really want to encourage you to do this morning is to use that piece of paper and, and right now in this moment, ask the Father to speak to you this morning, to say something specific through this message that you know is the Father speaking to you. Oftentimes when we gather together on Sunday morning, we come to worship God, obviously, and to see our friends and to listen to God's word. And, and many times when we take notes on the sermon, we write things down. Uh, if we're not careful, that just becomes more information. This becomes more information for us to put into our heads. And the, the reality is, folks, that most of us don't actually need more information. We actually need to hear from God. Most of us don't need to hear another sermon or be taught more facts about the Bible. We need to hear from God. And so my prayer this morning, uh, and I asked the, the prayer group that was praying before the service this morning to pray that we would hear from God. I nobody wants to come and hear from Bob. Hopefully we all came to hear from God. Amen? And so I want you just to, I want to just give you that kind of, that kind of, uh, invitation this morning to use that blank piece of paper, listen prayerfully as we read God's Word and as I try to explain some of the things that God has shown to me in my preparation and ask the Father to speak something to you this morning that's just for you. And write that down on that piece of paper. So if you come away at the end of this this service, this message, and the only thing you've got is one little phrase, but you know that God spoke that phrase to you, I would say that's better than having two pages of notes that are just more information. Amen? I'm not anti-information, but I'm more in concerned about transformation. God wants to change us, not just fill our heads with knowledge. Amen? Uh, as we start this morning, I'd like us all to stand together 
And we're going to read this prayer together. You have it on your bookmark. It's going to also be available up on the screen. And uh, we're going to read it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And uh, we'll just read it slowly and prayerfully because it's intended to be a prayer, not just words that we say. And uh, then I will pray and we'll consider these these verses together, particularly the first line. So let's uh, just say it all together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stay standing and let's just pray to our Father together. Lord, we are grateful for an opportunity to gather together this morning in the Lord's house here in Fresno at Bethany. We just thank you, Father, for your blessing upon this church. We thank you for the reputation that this church has earned over many years of being a, a place where the gospel is proclaimed and mission is is uh, carried out and people are sent out and prayed for and supported. And we just thank you, Father, for this church and the, the history and the heritage Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in freedom. We recognize that there are many of our brothers and sisters, your children around the world, that meet in much, much more difficult circumstances than we're meeting this morning. Some people are meeting in secret. Some people are meeting with a, with a degree of fear in their hearts. And so, Lord, we lift up the persecuted church, the oppressed family of God in different places around the world. Uh, and we just ask, God, that you would pour out your blessing upon them and continue to encourage them and use them for your glory and help them, Lord, to help us to have a high value of the gospel, to recognize that the things that we hold dear, the things that we that we believe uh, actually um, are valuable. They're treasure hidden in a field. And uh, you've led us to that treasure and you've blessed us with the reality of entering into a relationship with you through Jesus and So we pray, Father, that you would be with them and be with us. Lord, as we think about this business this morning of having a heavenly father, we pray that you would make it so real to us that you would impact our prayer lives as a result of uh, understanding more about what it means to have you as a father. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for an opportunity to gather in worship. And we ask for your blessing upon your word this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, be seated, please. I want to begin this morning by telling you two stories. Uh, I spent a lot of time living in Southeast Asia in amongst people uh, who are an oral tradition people. They're storytellers. They don't actually, the Kamu people in particular, one of the people groups, the main people group that we work with in northern Thailand and Laos, don't actually have a written language. There is no Kamu Bible. There have been attempts made to translate the Bible into Camus using the Laotian alphabet or using English letters and they've failed because there are different dialects and they all argue over how it's supposed to be said and they just haven't made much progress. But one thing they do really well is tell stories. And uh, I think that's a great way Jesus did that. That's the Jesus way of teaching the truth is to tell stories. So I just want to quickly tell you two stories that kind of impact my understanding of what it means to to have a heavenly father and that's really our focus this morning we're focusing on those words our father in heaven 
our heavenly father. What does it mean to have a father in heaven, a holy heavenly father? And how does that impact our lives and our prayer life? When we think about and recognize and realize that God is our father. As a young Christian, I was not raised in a, in a Christian home. I, I was born and raised in southern Oregon in a, in a family uh, that was really non-religious, irreligious family. And I'm the youngest of seven siblings and they were all troublemakers. And I was a troublemaker just like all the rest. And I actually came to Christ when I moved to Seattle, Washington uh, through, the, through the efforts of door-to-door evangelism, believe it or not. I'm a product of door-to-door evangelism. Some guys came to my house. I thought it was the FBI. These guys showed up and they're wearing ties and they're like, you know, and they told me about Jesus. And I became a Christian when I was 20 years old. Um, not raised in a Christian home, started going to that church. So there were a lot of things that I didn't know. So, you know, like we assume so much when we when we come to church and we use our language and we understand it, right? We know it, we get it. But there were so many things that I didn't know. I remember when the pastor, the pastor would talk about Calvary and I didn't know that Calvary was a place. And so I was hearing the word cavalry. And every time he would talk about, you know, the cavalry and what happened when the cavalry, 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 I would get this mental image of sort of John Wayne coming over the hill, like with a bunch of guys on horses. And and it had something to do with being delivered with salvation. So I could only think that there was a rescue operation that had happened. And eventually I found out that Calvary is the place where Jesus was crucified. And, and we use that for shorthand. We say the cross or Calvary, or Gethsemane. And we know what we mean, but I didn't get it, right? I didn't know. And so the other thing that really confused me as a young Christian was witnessing. Like I would hear people talk about witnessing. And the only thing I could think of in witnessing, the only thing I knew about witnessing is what I'd seen on Ironsides, right? Or Perry Mason, where, you know, they would call witnesses. And I'm like, what? Like, so Christians are going to court? And they're talking about Jesus in court? Like, what is that? And I went to the associate pastor who was kind of discipling me, mentoring we call it nowadays, but it was discipling back then. And I said, hey, Dan, what's this witnessing business? What is that all about? And he gave me sort of the usual definitions of witnessing, but then he said, let me give you another definition. He said, this is how I view it. He said, anytime a Christian, somebody who knows Jesus and is following Jesus, can pull back the curtain of their life enough for a non-Christian to see what it means to have a heavenly father you have witnessed. That was 37 years ago, I figured out this morning. And that definition of what it means to be a witness has has impacted my life so, so many times when I think about having a father and I th- in heaven and I think about witnessing, that picture comes into my mind that what God has called me to be is a person who reflects to other people what it means for me to have a father in heaven and what it could mean for them to have a father in heaven. That's witnessing. We tend to think of it as the words that we say. And of course, that is Part of it, we can't just go around being good people, doing good things and expect people to figure out that it's because we love Jesus and we have a heavenly father. So there's a spoken piece to it, but a big part of it is what we show people through our lives, the decisions we make, how we respond to crisis, how we raise our children, how we how we engage in business, all of those things that are a reflection of the fact that I'm in a relationship with a holy God. Every time people see that in me, every time I allow them to see that in me, 
And God is reflected in that. There's a witness that has happened there. So that's that has an impact on how I understand what it means to have a father in heaven, that I'm that I'm in a relationship and I'm supposed to be showing that relationship. I'm supposed to be living like it, not just believing it. Amen. I'm supposed to be living like I have a heavenly father so that people will see my good works, it says in the Sermon on the Mount and glorify my father who is in heaven. We're going to look at that verse in just a moment. The second story I'm going to tell you from Southeast Asia. Uh, after a year of language school in Thailand, we moved to an area called Chechen Sao, which is just due east of Chonburi, about an hour, hour and a quarter. And it's an industrial area, lots of factories surrounded by rice fields. And one of the first things that we were the first missionaries from, from MB Mission anyway to live in that area, there were missionaries coming out, for a missionary coming out from Chonburi doing ministry out there, but then going back home to Chonburi. So we were the first ones to actually live in that area. And um, there were some churches, or not churches, but some, some sort of ministries that had started in some slum areas, mostly children's ministry, kids clubs that we were doing in slum areas, and out of that a church to merge, and out of that church a ministry to... Uh, Burmese refugees emerged and now we've got missionaries who are in Burma, a team that's actually training because that whole Burmese thing in Thailand became a movement back to Myanmar. So anyway, we're there and we first arrived there. One of the first things we did was get a housekeeper, not because we're posh people and we want to have a housekeeper, but it's a great way to connect with someone who lives in the community and start building relationships with people. And it's also a way to help a poor person, a poor family without just giving them money. You give them a job. So this lady named May came to work for us. May's story is that when she, May's actually the uh, 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 daughter of a, a U.S. military guy who was over there during Vietnam and married a, or got connected with a Thai woman. And uh, she had a baby and the baby was May. And May has a vivid memory as a little girl of her American father saying to her, I'm going to go back to America and arrange things so that your mother and you can come and live with me in America. Well, to a poor Thai person from a uh, out region far away from Bangkok, up in the rural areas of Isan in northeastern Thailand, America was the promised land, like it's the land of chocolate and Coca-Cola, like everybody wants to go to America. And so that was her dream. Her father left and he never came back. Never communicated to the family again. Never heard a word from him. And so she was rejected by her father. Her mother remarried. But as as often is the case in Southeast Asia, a lot of times the stepfather doesn't want to raise another man's children. So she was rejected by her stepfather. And at the age of 13 was sent to live with a relative in a distant place and eventually got a job in a restaurant and moved out at the age of 15 and eventually got married so she was rejected by the second father in her life. Her stepfather wanted nothing to do with her because she wasn't his child. When we met May, she just had her third daughter and had just found out that her husband was leaving her for another woman. And then she, come, she came into our lives and she came into our home and we began to talk to her about Jesus and share the gospel with her. And talk to her about a heavenly father. And her response when she eventually became a believer was to go throughout her little community, a slum area where she had a reputation for being a hard woman who would fight with other women. She began to share the love of God with her neighbors and her, 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 
Her proclamation was, I have found a father who will never desert you. That became her witness. That became her message to her community. And a church was born as a result of her and others in that community finding a heavenly father who would never reject them in a culture where it's common to have fathers who reject their children. In the scriptures, we're going to read in just a moment, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he gets to this part about prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse uh, number 7, he says, he starts to, he introduces the subject of prayer. He's been talking about a lot of other things. But then he gets down to this subject of prayer, actually verse number 6. He says, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Then in verse number eight, don't be like them, those who just babble on for your father knows exactly what you have needed before you ask him. Pray like this, our father in heaven. This idea of praying to the father is not present in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a few references to God being a father. Usually God references himself as the father of the nation of Israel. He's the father in the sense that he's the creator of the nation. But it's very impersonal. In fact, there are only about 15 references in the Old Testament to the idea of God being a father, even to a nation of people. It's used very uh, specifically and rarely in the Old Testament. And it's never personal. But then you get to the New Testament and Jesus begins to, to shift all of that. In particular, the Sermon on the Mount, this big public discourse that he gives. Jesus begins to talk repeatedly about this idea of the Father. There's two things that bring us into relationship. In, in Scripture, there's two kind of images One that Jesus used and is repeated later on in the epistles is the idea of a new birth. God is our Father because we have been spiritually born again through believing in Jesus. And that brings us into a new relationship with God, which means God becomes our Father and we become His children. To as many as received Him, to those He gave the authority to become or to be called the sons of God or the children of God. So the new birth brings us into a relationship with a new father. But Paul actually prefers to to speak about adoption. He actually talks about it in terms not of as much of a new birth as it is through redemption and regeneration. God has brought us into a new relationship and He calls us His children Because he adopts us into his family. Both of those images are present throughout the New Testament. In the Gospels, though, is where we see this idea of the fatherhood of God emphasized uh, to a much greater degree than anywhere else in the Scriptures. Because it was Jesus' favorite term for God was Father. Over 65 times... In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and over a hundred times in the Gospel of John, we have Jesus saying, Father. He either says, My Father, or Your Father. And in one case, here in Matthew chapter 6, He says, When you pray, pray Our Father. 
The rest of the time, it's my father or your father. So Jesus is the one. He loves this relationship. He loves this language and he wants us to understand what it means to have God as our father and to address him in prayer as father. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts to introduce us to who, who this father is and what he's like. And I want us to just do a, do a really quick survey of what Jesus has to say. The Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5, and I know that Pastor Brian recently did a, a series in the Sermon on the Mount, so this is a little bit uh, familiar to you, I hope. But the Sermon on the Mount begins in chapter 5. It says in verse number 1 that one day Jesus saw the crowds gathering. He went up into the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples gathered around him. He began to teach them, and then he teaches extensively from chapter 5 to the to the end of chapter 7 in our scriptures, we have Jesus talking about the law, but at the same time revealing the character of the Father. And so I just want us to just really quickly look at the times that Jesus references the Father in the Sermon on the Mount, because this is the context that the Lord's Prayer is in. The Lord's Prayer is just about smack dab in the middle of this sermon that Jesus preached. So imagine Jesus on the side of a mountain, multitudes gathered before him, and Jesus is now for the first time going to really openly declare the realities of the kingdom of God and the realities of why he came and all the things that they've gotten wrong about what God intended for the law and how they've misunderstood it and misapplied it and created a religion when God's intention all along was to have a relationship with the nation, with the people. And Jesus is correcting all of that. And part of that correction is you need to understand who the Father is. You need to know the Father. So, chapter 5 and verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they shall be called the children of God. So there's this language that's being introduced. Verse number 16 of chapter 5. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So Jesus, throughout this sermon, begins to help them to understand that it's not about their obedience to the commandments of the law that God is interested in. It's having a relationship father to children. And He will do for them what a father does. So he says, he will receive glory through the actions of the children. The father receives glory, receives praise through the actions. So let your good works be demonstrated before people so that they will see them and they will glorify the father. Not glorify you because you're a good person, but glorify the father. Look in chapter 5 and verse 45. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives sunshine to the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your father in heaven In other words, the Father is our model, our example, the one whose example we're to follow, specifically in the area of how to offer forgiveness and how to love people who don't love us in return. The Father is our example of that. So Jesus is introducing a new idea 
to the crowds that are gathered there. That having a heavenly father is different than anything you've ever thought about religion before. You're entering into a relationship with a divine person who knows you, who loves you, and who sets an example for you to follow. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. He knows us. He loves us. In chapter 6, in verse 1, it says, uh, Watch out, do your good deeds pub- don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for uh, you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. So the Father is the one who gives rewards and withholds rewards. The Father is the one who recognizes who we are. The Bible says repeatedly in these verses that he, know, he sees in secret and rewards openly. The blessings that we receive, the Bible says, come from the Father above, the Father of lights. He pours out blessings upon us. Chapter 6 and verse 25. I tell you not to worry about your life, whether you have enough food or drink or clothes to wear. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 28. Why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. If God cares for wildflowers or here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things. What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God. God knows what you need. God knows your needs. Whatever burden you've brought with you here this morning, God knows all about it. Whatever frustration, whatever disappointment, whatever discouragement, whatever fear you carried into this building with you this morning, know this, the Father knows all about that thing. He knows all about it. And He is able to meet that need. Chapter 7 of uh, Matthew in verse number seven says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives everyone who seeks, finds and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Amen. God will give the father knows what we have need of this picture. that Jesus is painting of what the father looks like to his hearers is important because by our nature or by the nature of our brokenness we do not run toward god just like adam and eve in the garden when they sinned and they tried to cover themselves the bible says that god came to the garden as was his normal custom to commune with adam and adam wasn't there and god said adam where are you Don't you think that God knew where Adam was? Of course he did. Adam's over there. Adam and Eve are trembling in the bushes. 
Why? Because now they're aware of their brokenness. They're aware of their sinfulness. They're ashamed and embarrassed and afraid. So why is God asking Adam where he is? Because he wants Adam to say, I'm here. He wants Adam to actually recognize where he is. And God wants to invite him back into relationship. And God is doing the same for us. The Father does the same for us this morning. But if we have a distorted or incomplete or inaccurate picture of a heavenly Father, because the, 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 the problem that we have is that we impose on God our understanding of fatherhood down here. And many of us have fathers who were not good examples, good models of an inviting, welcoming, loving, forgiving, caring, providing father. And so we reflect that onto God and we have a hard time relating to God as father. But what we need to do is is forget about that and recognize that God is a perfect father. And he's a loving father who is inviting us. To come into relationship, to renew that relationship. So this picture that Jesus is painting before he ever says, when you pray, pray our father. He wants them to understand who the father is and what he's like. So that when they hear the invitation, pray our father who is in heaven. Instead of turning away, they will turn toward and embrace and receive. The picture of the Father is important because by nature we will not run toward God. We are inclined to hide from Him in shame and fear. But when we have a correct understanding of what the Father is like, we will come with gladness into His presence. Why is it that when we're struggling the most, so often we turn away from the one person who actually has the solution? Who will actually welcome us. We turn towards every other solution. But the Father is waiting. The Father wants us to come back into his presence. So how does this influence the way we pray? Jesus says, when you pray, not if. It's, it's expected that if you have a heavenly Father, if you have re- embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have entered into a new relationship with God, you have a heavenly Father, so you will pray. Not if, but when you pray, recognize that you're not only coming to the Creator, you're not only coming to the Almighty God, but you're coming to a heavenly Father who's available to you. One who knows you, loves you, delights in you, wants what's best for you, will forgive you and restore and refresh you. That should impact our prayer life in the way that we should want to continually enter into the presence of a Father like that. Amen? But more than our prayer life, it actually affects our whole life. If we live in the reality of having a Heavenly Father, it's going to influence and impact Everything we do as believers and followers of Jesus. Amen? It can't can't not impact and influence everything we do. So I've been thinking about this a lot in the past week. I've been struggling with some stresses and some things that are frustrating me and some things that I, I want to see happen that don't seem to be happening in my time. And I've just been reminding myself, my father knows about that. My father is in control of that. My father cares about how I feel right now. 
And it's been a refreshing exercise. And I want to just encourage you. When we truly understand that God is our Father, prayer becomes more than asking and confessing. It becomes communion, a divine interaction between an earthly child and a heavenly Father, an invitation to come to Him for everything we need and desire, a giving of praise, a receiving of gifts, peace, love, and joy. Our life becomes our prayer. This prayer that Jesus gave wasn't intended just to be words that we recite. It's intended to be something that actually forms our relationship with God. That we acknowledge He is our Father first of all. And everything else in this prayer is going to flow out of that. And I'm sure Brian will be developing that as you go through this series. But it starts with a foundation of relationship because our God is a relational God. So what hinders us? What gets in the way? Well, not fully appreciating or understanding, projecting our experiences of fathers onto the father. And sometimes it's just unbelief. We just have a hard time believing that God, the father loves us to this degree. And so we need to do what? We need to repent of our unbelief, confess it for what it is, We need to actually spend more time in prayer, not less. Amen? So, uh, here's what I'd like you to do. If you've written something down on that piece of paper, then you really, you know, just like God, okay, I heard a sermon, but I really heard more than that. I heard God speak to me. I want you to pray about who to share that with. Not necessarily today, right after the service, but just take that thing And hold on to it and pray, Lord, who do you want me to share this with? And say, this is what I heard God say to me. In church of all places, God spoke to me and I heard God say this to me. One final story. I had an experience last month. I was in Thailand. There was a big event that happened, an MB mission. And ICOM, the International Community of Men That Brethren, brought together leaders from 35 countries and we had a consultation on prayer and mission for a week in Chonburi, Thailand. During that week, I had two different people, one for, both of them from other parts of the world, both of them people that I hardly know, who came up to me and said, the Father wants you to know that he loves you. And he wants to spend time with you. God has a word like that for each one of us. God loves us. Our Father loves us and wants to spend time with us. And we do that not just on Sunday morning, not just when we gather together with other believers. Praise God for the privilege of doing that. But He wants to spend time with us every day, speaking to us and hearing what's on our hearts. And we can do that. We're going we're gonna to read this prayer together one more time. And then Pastor Brian's going to come and close the service. There it is. Oh, it's on the screen. Okay, so it's on the screen. But so I don't turn my back to you, I'm going to read it off of the prayer card. Let's all stand together. And if you have it memorized and you want to say it from memory, even if it's in a different version, that's fine. Do it that way. But if not, let's read it together. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come.
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Bob, so much. That challenge, you know, you may be someone who you have never begun that relationship with the Heavenly Father. And something, maybe you're not, even not sure what that is, but something in you today is saying, that's what I want. I, I want that relationship. I want to be able to, to say, God is my Father. And if that's you today, I invite you just to pull Bob aside or me or the person you came with and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to make God my Father. It's your decision, not his. It's your decision. It's a remarkable thing.